So we are in the series called Rescued right now, and we are talking about what it means for us to walk in a relationship with God, to be rescued by God. And one of the presuppositions that we have at Grace here is that in every one of our rooms, we have people who are not sure about their relationship with God. So I want to say to you, welcome. This is a place where you can question and figure out your relationship with God. It is the right environment for you to be. Now, today, we're going to be talking about this idea of God's salvation, right? And specifically, Paul has been wrestling with a couple of things for a while. Number one, he has a mission to the Gentile world. Gentiles are anybody who is not Jewish, ethnically. And so, but at the same time, even though that mission is what God gave him, his heart is for the Jewish nation because he is a Jew and he's a teacher of the law. And so he wants Israel to be right with God. But the problem was, week one, we challenged, we we talked about this challenge, and that was that Paul said, as he looked at the Jewish world, he said, they're zealous for God. But yet, because they don't have Jesus, they've been disconnected from the Father. And I said in week one that that's very similar to what's happening in the world today. I don't think that Central Florida is not interested in spiritual things. I think Central Florida, I think our country is interested in spiritual things. The question is whether or not they're interested or connected to the Father through Jesus. And for us, I just wanna give you a, a kind of bias that I have at the very beginning. And that is my hope for you is that you will come into a relationship with Jesus and follow him all the days of your life because it does not just change your now, it changes your forever. And our hope for you is that you'll have that opportunity and that goodness. Now listen, As we jump into today's text, Paul is giving us some senses of security and strength about what it means for us to walk as children of Jesus, as children of the Father. And so as we dial into what we're going to dial in today, I want you to be thinking about those who are far from God in your life, and I want you to be thinking about what it means for you to have been rescued by Jesus. So let's go ahead and dive in, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 25. This is what he says. Oh, and by the way, we're going to do some theology this morning. It's going to be great. Here we go. Here we go. Romans 11.25. I do not want you to be ignorant. What does the word ignorant here mean? It means not informed. I don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed of this mystery, brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians. So that you may not become conceited or arrogant. Okay, so let's take a look at this. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. This, in the original language, is kind of a weird thing. It's almost uh, Paul using a little bit of irony and sense of humor, because he's basically saying, I don't want you to be unaware of something you actually can't know everything about, right? And so he's saying, like, I want you to understand this thing, but you need to know that at the heart of knowledge about God in some areas, we're not going to know everything there is to know. And, and, and the problem is, when, you, when we believe we can, it leads to some bad things in our life. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not become conceited or arrogant. Often, ignorance leads to arrogance. Often, ignorance leads to arrogance. And I've been challenging you for a while now, and I'm going to keep doing it because I continue to have people write me and talk to me and catch me in the hall and say, Pastor Mike, thank you for putting this challenge in front of me. It's changing my life. And this is this. I want you to, I want to challenge you to disconnect from all the negative and angry voices in your life. I want you to pull back from all those social media platforms, whether it's, whether it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's, it's Facebook, whatever it is, Twitter, um, whatever podcast you're listening to. If you're walking away and you're constantly more angry, that is not the evidence of God in your life. And we need to recognize that and push back on that because what is shaping us on the outside will eventually shape us on the inside. 
It'll make us angry. You're not just listening to that stuff. You become that stuff. And so here, he basically says, listen, if you walk around ignorant, which means, you know, unaware, then you're often going to find yourself in arrogance. And one of the things that we see in our culture right now is that there's a ton of people who have just a little bit of information, and then those people are often the loudest voices. They don't know a whole lot about God, but know this, that when you talk to somebody, even if they're not sure what they believe about God, they have definite opinions. And the reason for that is because unless they are told, unless they are taught, that's why teaching matters, unless they're taught who Jesus is and the love that Jesus has for them, then they'll make up a picture of God in their own heart. And often that picture that they will make up about God is so convoluted that it actually doesn't do anything good for them. It actually is harmful for their life. And so if you are, he's saying, if you find yourself being ignorant, oftentimes that lands you in a place of arrogance. But we're Christians and we see things differently. In fact, the Bible tells us that we don't fix our eyes on what is seen on everything around us. We don't fix our eyes on our culture. We don't fix our eyes on the world around us. What we do is see with spiritual eyes. We see differently than the rest of the world does. We see with a set of spiritual eyes. Why? Because we have faith behind us. And the idea is when bad things happen and hard things happen in our world, and some things are happening right now across the world that are hard. But at the end of the day, we don't just fix our eyes on those things and see them Just the way that they are, the Bible tells us we don't fix our eyes on what is seen. We fix our eyes on what is unseen because what is unseen lasts forever. And you and I want to be people who invest in things that last forever. We don't want to be people who are just short-sighted. We want to invest in things that last forever. So we have eyes of faith. We see the world differently. So when bad things happen in the world or they happen in your own life, we, as followers of Jesus, recognize that God is still at work. That when wars break out or hardships break out in our personal lives, our families or our businesses or whatever it's happening, God is still actively at work in those moments. He didn't fall off the throne. He is still king. He is still Lord and he's still in control. And the beautiful thing about that is that when we understand that, that means we begin to see the world in a different way. We see the world populated with possibilities because we know that God is at work even in the hardest circumstances. God has not left anything in your life that has been difficult for you. He's not left anything in your life that's been hard for you that he is not currently using to strengthen you or to make you more like him. That's just how he works. It's how things are orchestrated. But watch this. If you're not connected to Jesus, which means you're not connected to the Father, to God, then the problem with that is all you can see is with the natural eyes that you have. All you can see right now is just the world around you. And man, sometimes when you look at it, it looks like it's just falling apart. But we see differently. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not be knowing. Because ignorant people tend to be very, very arrogant. So what we're going to do, a little theology this morning. Don't be afraid. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be helpful to you, okay? Here we go. We're going to look at two errors in just a minute, and these two errors have to do with conversations that we have with others about spiritual things. And there are generally two types of errors. They fall on the opposite ends of the spectrum, but ironically, even though there are opposite ends of the spectrum, the net result of both ideas is pridefulness, is arrogance. And this is what they are. Up on the screen. Two errors we fall into when thinking about God. Number one, we can't really know anything about God. And number two, we can know everything about God. 
So the first error is an error that's irreligious, meaning it has no religion behind it. This is the person that doesn't believe in God necessarily, or maybe, that, maybe it's not that they don't believe in God, because most people believe in God. Pew studies tell us that right now, 95% of America believes in God in one form or shape or another. So it's not necessarily that, but for some people who are not sure what they believe about God, they, 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 they get overwhelmed at the idea of thinking about him. So I've had conversations with people all the time who say things like, Pastor Mike, when I come to church, it seems to make sense. Like, I get what you're saying. It's helping me. But then I start thinking, is this Christianity? Is this Buddhism? Is this, like, what, is it Islam? Is it, uh, you know, is it Taoism? Like, what am I supposed to follow? And we've told you before that God did not create 10,000 different paths for you to have to figure out which path is the way to him. He created one path and made it super clear for all that we could all take a next step towards him. I want you to think about this for a second. It's hard to figure out, but I want you to understand he gave us one person and that is Jesus. So if you're trying to figure out your relationship with God, start with who Jesus is. If the Bible's true and God really did raise him from the dead and he is God, that has a claim on your life. That means something to you. It means something. It means something can change in your life. But the challenge is, sometimes people will just bail, and they'll say, you know what, we really just can't know anything about God. But the problem with that philosophy is you're done. You can't grow in this area. You can't change in this area. You're just stuck. And that's not who I think God wants you to be, and that's not who you're created to be. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is the more religious problem. So if you grew up in the church, you may fall into this category. We can know everything about God. And uh, years ago, and I think sometimes when, when you believe you can know everything about God, there is an overconfidence in what you're saying. And so these people tend to be super black or black and white, right? And so you, you know these Christians, right? They tend to be very legalistic. If, if it's not their way, it's the wrong way. Right? There's, there's right in this situation, there's wrong, and there's right and wrong, guys. And there is black and white things in the Bible. The Bible's super clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is God, that, 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 that God loves you. These are black and white things. These are things we hold on to to be truthful, and we're certain about them. But then there's a whole lot of stuff in between that that we're uncertain of. Should you be baptized as an infant, or should you be baptized as an adult? Churches do all kinds of things, right? Do, do you, should you raise your hands in church? You see the weirdos that raise their hands in church? I love it. I love it. I freaking love it. Like, I, for a long time, I just went through an evolution of it. I was like, <laughs> you know, it just, it was, it was a thing that happened, you know, over time. I love it. Should you do that? Should you not do it? People get really weird about stuff like this. In fact, in the first century, there was a challenge with it. I'll tell you about it in a second. But there are some people who say, we can know everything about God. One day, uh, we were interviewing this pastor, and uh, it was me and a, a couple of staff members, a couple of staff pastors, and it was the first meeting with this guy, and he was one of these guys. He's, he was very, very cocky, very confident about everything, and that's very much not our culture here. And he said, you know, he basically was a guy who said, I can know anything and everything about God. And so we were sitting at the Briar Patch on Park Avenue, great breakfast, right? This sermon sponsored by the Briar Patch, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> can you imagine? So, so, so there we are, there we are, we're, 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 we're sitting on Park Avenue, it is this amazing uh, experience, and then we started talking to this guy, we're asking about his experience, ministry background, what his heart for Jesus is, his testimony, all that kind of stuff, it was great, it was awesome, but when the waiter came up, he said, hey, uh, can I get you guys something? I said, yeah, this is what I want, the other guy said, this is what he want, and then that guy, just because he's overconfident, right, he's, he was like, hey, uh, before I give you my, my, uh, before I give you my, uh, my order, is there anything I can pray for you about? 
And I was like, dear God, you know, and, uh, and not because like it's weird to pray with somebody, but it was out of context and not in the right moment, you know, it was like not socially aware at that moment. And the guy goes, he was super uncomfortable because I looked up at the time, like, what is he going to do? And uh, he says, he goes, he was, man, I, he goes, I, I, I don't know, stumbled on his words. I, I don't know. Um, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. He goes, can I get your order? And he goes, no, nah, man, there's something that you need prayer for. You know, and I was like, <laughs> I just want to get under the table at this point. I'm just like, dear Lord, please come back right now. Come back right now, guy, right now. This is the moment. And it was just, it was just, it was awkward. It was strange. It was weird. And, uh, and in fact, at the end of all of that, um, we were walking down Park Avenue. I turned back around a little bit later, went back and said, man, I'm just so sorry. Because uh, he knew we were pastors because this guy told him. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, 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 and I was just like, I was like, I'm so sorry that, that he did that. That was uncalled for. And that's just not how we act. He was like, I know, right? He was like, that was really weird. I was like, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, it's okay, man. I said, is there anything I can pray for you about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. But it was, it, was, it was just out of context. It was strange because it was an overconfidence that like anything that he did that would be spiritual would be right. By the way, he didn't get the job. Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things where we can fall into one of these two categories. One paralyzes us. It's the irreligious brand, which is the idea that essentially that we can't know anything about God, so why even try? And then the other side of it is we can know everything about God, and that's just not true. They both lead to pridefulness. The pridefulness that God can't reveal himself to you is the, the secular and irreligious pride. God actually has revealed himself to you. It's right in the scriptures, and God's word was designed specifically so that you would have clarity about who he is, so that you could walk in a sense of knowing who God is. And that's God's gift to you, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not yet a Christian. It is God's gift to you, the scriptures. But then the other form of pride is to walk around thinking, I can know all things about God. Remember, the subject of God and God himself is an infinite subject. And we are finite creatures with boundaries. We literally have bodies that are boundaries. My brain can only hold so much. Your brain can only hold so much. Try to stuff God in there is like trying to stuff an elephant into a Coke can. It can't happen. It would obliterate it. It's not possible. So we can't know everything there is. So how do we solve these two problems? So in theology, it actually gives us a great example of how to solve these problems. And this is, these things have been around forever, um, but most people have just never been taught them. Here they are. There are two challenges, right? Two distinctions in our mind between two ideas that will help bring clarity to us when we think about God and the world around us. It starts with the word comprehension and apprehension. So comprehension is knowing something completely. Um, you and I live in a natural universe, right? The natural universe has laws and laws of nature, right? And the beautiful thing about that is that we can know the laws of nature. In fact, I believe if we are given the right amount of time within the universe, the right amount of technology and the right amount of desire, we could probably come up with rules and answers for almost everything in the universe. That's what we could do. However, what's not in the universe is God himself, right? And so when we think about this, we can know something completely um, mostly. And what I mean by that is this. Almost every time we come to a scientific or technological advance, like for example, when we started looking through microscopes, we said, oh my gosh, look at this cell. The cell is the smallest unit of size. And then we found more powerful ones and more powerful ones, and it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And now we're down to strings that vibrate in the universe, right? So it, we can constantly know more and more, and that's with a finite subject, 
Now, you apply this idea of knowing something completely when it comes to God, and it's impossible. So there are these things in, 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 in theology called communicable attributes. I don't care if you ever remember that term, okay? But here's what I care about. It's personality traits from God that can be transferred to us. God is kind. We are kind. God is merciful. We can be merciful. God is gentle. We can be gentle. So all of those things can be transferred from we are like this because he transfers those things to us. But when God makes me kind, I'm not the most kind that I could possibly be. In fact, there is always a step to be taken and another step to be taken and another step to be taken. And I think sometimes we think that when we get to heaven, that all those steps are done, but I actually think when we get to heaven, we'll spend the rest of our life, eternity, trying to know God in his fullness. And we can't because we're just continually taking steps toward him. Why? Because he's infinite. There will be always be more to learn about God. And I love that. As somebody who loves to teach and somebody who likes to know, I love that I will spend the rest of my life studying and learning about God because that's the best way for you to love someone well. You know what? Uh, I know my wife's favorite flower. I do. I know my wife's Starbucks favorite drink because one day she said, oh my gosh, I love this. And I took my phone out and I wrote it down (laughs) and I memorized it, right? Why? Because the more I know her, the more I'm able to love her and care for her. Christians, the word disciple means learner. It means student. We are students of God. We're studying him because as we study him, we're learning more about him. And in the absence of studying him and learning about him, we make up a version of him that may not be real. And when we make up, watch this, so important. When you make up a version of God that's not real, when you go to that God, he will destroy you because he cannot help you. And so what we do is we start knowing him. If I met my wife and we had a couple of conversations and I said, well, let's get married. She said, great. And I stopped learning about her. We wouldn't be close. So the more you learn about God, the more we can love him. Comprehension just says you can know everything. I can't know everything about my wife. I don't think I will. But when it comes to God, that's for sure. The other side of that is this. So apprehension means we, what, we, what we know is true, but it's just not complete. So, so here's what I mean. When you get to heaven, you stand before God, and we've been talking about Jesus your whole life, and we've been talking about Jesus your whole life. We're not going to get to heaven, and then God say, just kidding. It was Buddha. You should have followed Buddha. Like, like that I was just kidding with you about the Jesus thing. No, what we actually know, what we know that God has revealed to us is true. So when you look into the Bible, you can trust it. Because it's God's revelation to us. It's him opening his heart to the world. And we can trust what we know. It's just very important for us as Christians to know what we know about God is not complete. We can't know everything. And when we do walk around as if we do know everything, we become arrogant. Because that's ignorance, and ignorance always leads to arrogance. And so our job is to try to know more and more and more about God, but at the end of the day, know that we walk in humility. And so theological humility is very important. You know what's beautiful about that? When you accept that for yourself, then it becomes fun to take a next step toward God. You're not always looking to get the test 100% because you're never gonna get 100% on the test. You're just growing and growing and growing and learning and learning and learning. And then you have compassion on people who are not Christian because they're just doing the exact same thing that you are. They're just not as far down the road as you are. And we have the privilege of being able to help them know God 
And when you help other people know God, then their made-up version of God that they've been depending on their whole life, when things really get hard, they'll actually have God himself to rely on. And he will never disappoint. He will never shame. Verse 25 says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited or arrogant. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. We talked a little bit about this. Israel has experienced a hardening. And what we said here is challenging for some people because some people look at this and think that what God did for Israel was take away their ability to uh, receive Jesus. He did not. What he did was something that he still does to this very day, and that is this. He allows you and the choices that you've made, and sometimes those choices may be harmful for you, but he lets you have what you want because he knows that ultimately when a bad thing comes into your life, it shakes your life. It causes suffering, it causes pain, it causes hardship, and then you know what it does? It causes reevaluation. And so sometimes God will let something like that happen. So what he's done basically is Israel said, we don't want anything to do with you. He says, fine. I'm gonna step back from you guys right now and what you're gonna do is you're gonna make choices based on that and that ultimately is going to be for you something that shakes your life and I hope that you return to me. Now, this happens to us on all, this happens all the time. Man, you remember when you prayed for, for that boy, that young guy, that relationship or that older guy, wherever you are. Like you, you prayed for him, you're like, dear God, he'd be the best husband. It's gonna be so great. Can you bring him into my, could you, could you just, I think I found him. He's awesome. Or you're, 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 you're thinking about her. You're like, yes, she's the one, God. And then many years down the road, you're like, thank you, Jesus, you did not answer my prayer. My prayer. You remember that? Like that moment, because you wanted something so desperately, and you were like, that would have been a disaster. That's what God does sometimes. Sometimes he'll go, okay, you can have him. He's a booger, but there you go. You can have him right now. And then you're like, dear Lord, I want your will now, not my will. <laughs> Thy will be done, right? Sometimes God does that. He's doing that with Israel right now. He's kind of said, all right, fine, you want this? You can have this, but it is gonna shake your life. It's gonna bring some drama into your life. Verse 26, he says, and in this way, all ethnic and spiritual Israel will be saved. What a beautiful picture. God's posture towards us is, even if I'm gonna give you what you want and it's not what's good for you, I'm still working for your salvation. So you know what that means, right? That means that if you're in the room right now and your natural tendency is to think, I'm not good enough to be here. First of all, you don't know us. Second of all, because we're not that good. Second second of all, that was funny. I don't know why you guys didn't laugh. I mean, like, it was legitimately funny. So, so, but, but if you're here and you're thinking, like, I just, I'm not good enough to be in a place like this, you need to recognize that even in your self-described badness, God is still working for your salvation. He does not pull away from you when you pull away from him. So, so, so take, let's take this. He says, and in this way, all ethnic, that means, that means people who are ethnically Jewish and spiritual, that's us, uh, Israel, will be saved as it is written. Now that doesn't mean, this, this is not describing, and this has been debated through years, this is not describing a kind of spiritual universalism. He's not saying everybody in the whole world will be saved. He's saying everybody that turns to Jesus whether Jew or Gentile, will be saved. And when you turn to Jesus, and that all, all that simply means, that's complicated, like it's just trusting him with your life. Jesus, I don't need to be the leader of my life anymore. This is where I landed, and it's not a good place for me, but I want you to lead my life from this point on. And that's what we're talking about here. That is what it means to take a step uh, into faith. But it says right here, 
He says, um, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all ethnic and spiritual Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer, Jesus, will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So what is Jesus' job? To turn godlessness away from us, right? To take the godlessness inside of us and to turn it away. The number one way he does that is by dying on the cross for us. And so this makes a distinction between probably you and most people who think about their relationship with God. God doesn't deal with you on a case-by-case sin basis. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, stand in a state of grace. So God's not looking at you going, this was six times you blew it again this week. Seven times you blew it again this week. No, no, no. He's in the background. The father's going, all I see of you right now is the blood of my son over your life. And yes, you need to get your behavior right. But I will love you even if you never figure that out. It is the most generous thing that anybody could ever do for us. It is the most incredible thing because there is godlessness inside of every one of us. When you grow up in the church, you hear words like righteousness and godlessness, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be, to be godless? Can I, just, can, I just say this? can I just say this? What I'm about to say is fricking fire, okay? All right, I'm just telling you right now, like I don't say that a lot. I was sitting in the Alpha and writing the message. This definition of godlessness came to me and I was like, it was total, I mean, here we go. Ready? Here it is. <laughs> what is. What is godlessness? What is godlessness? It is the decisions and attitudes that make God less in your life. <laughs> it's the decisions and attitudes that make God less in your life. What does that mean? Well, it means any decision that you're making in your life or any kind of attitude that you carry around with you that makes the Lord not preeminent in your life. If, if Jesus really is God and he was raised from the dead, he is first in our life. He's first in our life. He's not second. He's not third priority. So first of all, godlessness, making God less in your life is reflected in your priorities. It's reflected in your priorities. Like, how do I live my life? Do I, do I, do, is Jesus first in my money? Is Jesus first in my relationship with my kids? Is Jesus first in my relationship with my husband or wife? Is Jesus first in my business? Is Jesus first in my attitude? And if he is, all of those things are radically transformed. Why? Because he is Lord of those things. Sometimes it's not, an adi- sometimes it's not, uh, it's not a priority. It's something else. It's like excessive fears and worries. One of the ways in which we make God less in our life is excessive fear and worry. Remember, guys, and I just want to remind you, like we see the world with a different set of eyes. Our eyes are faith-filled eyes. Our eyes don't look at the world and go, man, my business isn't working. The revenue's not working out this month. Everything's falling apart. Everything's gonna fall apart. No, no. When things fall apart, God is orchestrating circumstances that will be ultimately for your good. He may stretch you for a while. You may go through a hard time for a while. But on the other side of that is a father who's like, I got you. I got you. No matter what happens, I have you. I'm in control. And so we see with eyes of faith, excessive worry and anxiety is nothing. Anxiety, by the way, just, you know, counseling moment. Anxiety is just fear out of control, right? And so whenever you're walking around with excessive anxiety, and our culture is doing that right now, and one of the reasons is because we're listening to anxious things all the time. Fill your hearts with worship music. Fill your mind with scripture. 
walk around all day long with this and you know everyone else will be downcast and you'll be the ones that are not downcast anymore. And people will look and go, why? And you don't go, because I'm awesome. We go, because Jesus is great. You know, that's what we have the opportunity to do. It's all around us. People need us to be different. But God is talking about, and Paul is talking about specifically here, a specific kind of godlessness in Israel. And that is a blindness about who Jesus is. But God desires to take the blindness from our eyes. He really does. When will this happen? Like, when will he ultimately take all of this away from us? Well, he has already told us in the scriptures here in verse 25. Let's look at it again on the screen. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. The other thing I want to hit here is it's in part. It's not in totality. Many, many, many Jewish people are becoming followers of Jesus today. In fact, right now, this is one of the largest engrafting of, of ethnically Jewish people into the kingdom of God that there has ever been in history. And so if you look at this passage, it says, Israel will basically, or has experienced a hardness in heart, in part, not in totality, so he's still pulling people out of this, until the full number of Gentiles have come in. So if that's true, then this would seem to indicate, if we're seeing that happen right now, that the full number of Gentiles are starting to accumulate. What does that mean? That these things are evidences and signs that eventually Jesus is coming back. And all I know about that, all I know about that, and by the way, all anybody knows about that, is today we're closer than we were yesterday. And can I just say something to encourage you? Christians all around the world, all, all, sorry, not around the world, American Christians on social media are so paralyzed by the idea of Jesus coming back and so worried about it. What if this guy rises up? What if this happens? What if we have to go through a season of suffering? <laughs> Guys, when Jesus returns, it's the best day of your life. It's the best day of your whole life. It won't be your wedding. It won't be your children. It won't be the amazing things you've experienced. It will be seeing Jesus face to face. There is nothing to fear in his return. We should long for his return. We should desire to see Jesus. There is nothing that this world holds for us in the future that Jesus coming back now would we'd think, man, I missed out. No, we've got everything we need in Jesus. Don't worry about it. The full number of Gentiles, when they come in, all of a sudden, the scriptures seem to teach us that God will drop that blindness on Israel and we'll see Israel just turn to Messiah. And look at what verse 27 says. It's such a, another security for us. Verse 27, and this is my covenant with them, with the Jewish people and with us, that basically, and with them, when I take away their sins. So I'm gonna give them a covenant and that will take away their sins. Now, the difference between a covenant and a contract is lawyer draws up a contract to ensure obedience, right? To make sure that these two people come together with this agreement and then creates penalties if they break it, which you can. Contracts are breakable all the time. It's just that there's stipulations to it that you're going to have to go through this problem or that problem or pay this amount of money or, or whatever the stipulation is. So contracts are there to ensure good behavior, but on the other side of it, they can also be broken. A promise from God is not broken no matter what the behavior is. You see, you need to realize and we need to come to terms with, we've all broken our contract with God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, that's what that definition means. So because we've broken the contract with God, we, because we're fallen and sinful, think that God then turns around and goes, well, here's the penalties and here's how I'm gonna destroy you. No, here it says, and this is my covenant, my promise with them, that I will take away their sins. So his behavior toward you is not dependent on your behavior toward him. This is what's so extraordinary about the gospel. Now, some of you will, will sit back and think to yourself, well, hold on a second. That's not right. I can't just do whatever I want. Yes, you can, but you need to understand this. Watch, this. it's so important. Catch this. If you're truly following Jesus, what you will want is to love him well. And that changes what you do. 
We become different people, not because there's a gun to our head. We become different people because we started a love affair with the king of heaven. And my desire is to be obedient to him and walk in his ways because he loves me and because he has a covenant with me that when I broke it all, he said, I'm with you still and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You have security. Paul talking about Israel here, he says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they're loved. So, so here's what he's saying. This is so cool. So I want you to think about this, moms who have kids that are far from God or you have family members that are far from God. As far as, but as far as like when we think about the fact that they're not following Jesus, they're enemies of God. But as far as God's purposes for them is concerned, they're still loved. So we need to walk with eyes of faith when it comes to our unbelieving family. And when we walk with eyes of faith because we see differently than the world sees, what we understand is that God still loves them. And he's orchestrating the circumstances continually for them to turn around. And so we join in with the Father as much as we can and show the beautiful gloriousness and the goodness of God. We do that over and over and over again. You know when we quit? When they die. But until that day, we fight. We fight hard for them so that they can come to know Jesus and walk with him because that will not change this, just this life. It'll change the rest of their life. And he says in verse 29, for the gifts and the call are irrevocable. Once you've gotten the call and you're a follower of Jesus, it's irrevocable. He's not gonna deal with you on a sin-by-sin, case-by-case basis. When you blow it, his commitment to you is still firm. And he gives you gifts in the church, gifts to use for the goodness of the church and for the goodness of people around you. Some of you walk in joy and you're just naturally joyful. I'm not a naturally joyful person. I'm I'm a natural thinker, but I'm not a naturally joyful person. Some of you walk around joyful all the time. Like I love to have you around. We've got some friends. We just have to be around them because it's like a dose of joy every time. That that was weird. (laughs) I don't know. That was old Mike coming out. Uh, so, so, so just, you know, like, like, like that, that's just like, that is, that is like a picture, you know, of goodness that's designed by God. And that gift is irrevocable. It means you're supposed to use those. Now, I want you to skip down with me to verse 32. It says this, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience. It means we've all fallen into the category of those who have fallen short. We've broken our contract. And for what reason? so that he may have mercy on them all. What a beautiful picture. You see over and over and over again through the book of Romans how God is fighting for you and fighting for you and fighting for you. And then this whole thing ends and we're just gonna read it and then we're gonna end. The whole thing reads like this. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been his counselor? No, sorry, sorry, let's read in verse 33. I apologize, that was my fault, 33. Oh, how, de- how, how the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, who can know him fully, right? And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one has. Or who has been his counselor? No one can counsel a father. Who has ever given to God that which he should repay them for? None of us, we're all in debt to him. For from him, from God and through God and for God are all things. We exist for his glory. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, we are so thankful that you are so good, even in the face of our rebellion at times. Lord, we wanna be people who have theological humility. We don't wanna walk around thinking we know everything about you. God, it's so much more fun 
for us to be able to just grow every single day in an increasing sense of love and joy in you. Father, we just pray right now for those who are far from you because most of them think they're not worthy enough to come and most of them think that they'll never be able to figure all this stuff out. God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You didn't give us 10,000 paths for us to figure out which one was the right one for us. You gave us one clear path through Jesus that we will know you and love you for all the days of our life. Thank you for that gift. May those around us find their way to you. And Father, through our kindness and our goodness, the gentleness that we bring to them, Lord, may they see Christ in us. It's in your name we pray, amen.